Good morning, everyone. This is the Healthy Idea Podcast by Iman and Nico. I'm Iman. And I'm Nico. And on our podcast, we sit down with founders on how they're using new technologies to solve critical health issues that face our society today. We learn more about their journeys into entrepreneurship and how they started their company. We hope to shed light on innovations in health and encourage you to think on the art of what's possible with technology today. Welcome back, everyone, to the Healthy Idea Podcast. Today's episode is a very special one because we have a two for today. We have Chris and Babic from Infinite MD. How are you guys doing tonight? We're doing very doing well. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Thanks for asking. So I was wondering if you guys, just to start us off, could you guys tell us about yourselves as well as Infinite MD and what you guys do there? Sure. My name is Christopher Lee, and I'm one of the co-founders and the COO of Infinite MD. Infinite MD is a digital health company. We are in the business of facilitating and democratizing access to healthcare expertise. We are particularly strong in specialty medicine. So these are typically any areas that you would need a specialist for. And so we have the privilege to see a lot of patients that have a chronic or serious condition. We have both a platform as well that also transacts all these different types of virtual interactions that helps bridge the gap of access through the use of technology. Great. Thank you, Crystal. And my name is Babak Mulasagi. I am the CEO of InfinitMD, and I think Chris did a great job describing what we do. Awesome. Thanks, you guys, so much for the, the introduction. So something that we like to ask our founders that come on the show is that we would love to know what brought you guys together to actually build Infinite MD. Absolutely. Maybe I can take that one. So we both actually met in the Harvard MIT environment where we actually were, I was a Sloan student at the Sloan School of Management at MIT. And I took a bunch of courses that wanted to be more with the PhDs and engineers. That's how Chris and I met. We actually met first and decided one of the core values of any startup are the founders and chemistry within the founding teams. So we were not sure what we want to do, but we were tackling a couple various problems. And we had a couple startup ideas in the past, and we were involved in a bunch of accelerators and competitions we won actually many so we actually had a different way of pursuing this first is to initiating the founding team and then going after problems what we can solve but we knew one thing that was important from the beginning as mentioned from chris is the democratization of access to healthcare patients domestically but also worldwide we really wanted to make an impact in this world and help people utilizing technology those are the two main ingredients we knew, what exactly, which topic we didn't know back then. Would you agree, Chris? That seems like so many, yeah. so many years ago. Yeah, it has been a lot of years. And I guess the only thing I would add to is, you know, Babak and I also uh, had a great time while we were at MIT being a part of the MIT hacking medicine community, you know, which is a big community to help foster healthcare and digital health innovation. And when we were there, we were essentially educated to solve and tackle a healthcare pain point. And we were really inspired by the methodologies there to ultimately solve this problem of access. Gotcha. I would have to say you guys are the first founding partners that I've met that they partnered up before they actually had a problem statement. 
I think most of the time with founders, it's the problem leads you to the, the co-founder. But this is very interesting. Indeed, actually, it was the third one of our team members. So basically, where we had this philosophy, Malik Majmudar, who was renowned cardiologist at MGH here, ended up later today, he's the chief medical officer at the Amazon. But back then, we tackled the various problems, brainstormed a lot. I had some experience in entrepreneurship, and I knew one thing I didn't want to get back into is the founder's dilemma. So we really went this problem the other way around. That is true. That's awesome. So after you two had found each other, realized, you know, you guys really enjoyed working with each other and that there's a lot of team chemistry there. What was the actual specific inspiration for Infinite MD? What was that kind of business idea that sparked that said, you know, we should pursue this? I would say one thing we did is that we had access to a lot of specialist network here, given our previous history. And I worked for many years at Philips Healthcare, where I was responsible for the KOLs, key opinion leaders in this space. And we actually met our third co-founder, Liz Kuo, that was engaged in another startup that had recently exited very successfully in educational business in China. And she had played with the idea of and has initiated this idea of pursuing access to U.S. doctors for Chinese patients. That led to basically us teaming up, the three of us, and founding InfiniteMD, where we initially were focused on bringing this business to patients worldwide that had limited access. There was a big discrepancy between the local and the main cities uh, providers. And that's how it all started. It was a problem that we knew very well of. And we thought, hmm, why don't we use a Skype-like telehealth platform to pr provide this access to all these patients worldwide to a top oncologist, which was the main area of our expertise back then, to all these patients worldwide. Chris, would you agree on that one? Yeah, absolutely. And it was also kind of right around a time we all have you know, family stories of family and friends, Babak and I, and, you know, our third co-founder, Liz, are all individuals that work in healthcare. You know, Babak and I are, aren't medical doctors, Liz is, but people often would come to us simply just because we kind of had the access and the contacts to help our family and our friends. And, you know, we would do this a number of times every year personally, and we just really saw that this clearly was a problem if all these people were coming to us for help. And just to add a little bit more color, you know, internationally, you know, when we first started, some of the patients that we were able to help, I mean, that their stories are really astounding. I mean, you know, we had patients who were being treated, for example, with chemo, but they didn't even have a cancer diagnosis to begin with. There were a number of seemingly kind of outrageous stories, you know, when we first started. So this disparity in access was very, very substantial. And so in terms of a pain point, it was very, very real to us as well. Oh, wow. Well, that's really frustrating to hear from a point of care and a patient standpoint. But no, that's really exciting that you guys saw the opportunity. So when you say international, are you talking about people who are internationals and in, as in like they're visiting or living and staying in a country that is not originally their own or, or are you just referring to like you've served international populations? It is more the population. A lot of our customers internationally 
they used to be individuals with severe diseases, either themselves or a loved one or a lot of pediatric, where they were just almost desperate. They said, is there another chance? And we found out that depending on the geographic region, today we are we're providing the service in so many countries. Our patients are over 50 countries, probably more by now. We're getting these requests from in the Middle East, South America, Asia Pacific. Whereas you can imagine somebody, let's say, has a diagnosis, a bad diagnosis in oncology or rare disease for of their child. And in that specific geographic region, there are not that many specialists, very subspecialized in this area. And when they reach out to us, for example, we can provide for them, even remotely, a genetic testing that we provide. And based on that, they, there's for oncology, there's immunotherapy available, and then providing them access to this, that's what drives us. So when we talk about international, it's more, it's both. It's basically U.S., let's say, expats potentially, but also people living in other countries that want to talk to a top expert, which a lot of times is here in the U.S., Oh, got it. I see. So people that live abroad that want access essentially to U.S. healthcare expertise. Yes, not only just U.S. citizens, but also citizens of other countries. Mm-hmm. Got it. Oh, that's really interesting. That's no, really cool because you hear, you definitely hear about it, just like trying to serve people. Telemedicine is usually kind of like, I guess, intercontinental where it's just like people within rural parts connecting people in urban parts, but I've never really seen or heard of people connecting across borders. So I think that's really fascinating. And so I think that kind of segues into the next topic, which I wanted to talk about just the telehealth space. There's quite a few companies operating within that space. So I was wondering as to how Infinite MD differentiates itself between some of the other telehealth and telemedicine startups. I think there are a number of different things that really differentiate us from the other startups. And we actually touched on one of these points already, which is international access. We have the infrastructure in place, both from a technology perspective, but also a service perspective to enable these interactions for international patients, right? And so by that, I mean individuals that might not speak English individuals that need a translator or an interpreter to be a part of their patient journey. So we have the infrastructure for that. Another thing that strongly differentiates us is the fact that we have the most modalities when it comes to doing these virtual consultations. So, you know, we have, you know, written, we have video, we have asynchronous video snippets which is kind of like marrying the merits of a video consultation with the simplicity of a written consultation. And we also have built-in messaging all streamlined within one technology platform. Lastly, our third point of differentiation is the fact that our technology platform enables multiple specialists to collaborate at the same time with one patient case. So this is particularly useful in complex diseases such as orthopedics or oncology. You know, in orthopedics, for example, you might need the involvement of a surgeon in addition to a PT specialist, as well as maybe a pain management specialist. And all these individuals can come together on our platform and collaborate with each other to provide the best recommendations and next steps. This is something that, you know, no other competitor offers. And, you know, I think these three items really, really separate us from 
all the other competition. If I may just add for your listeners is that a lot of people, when they think of uh, telemedicine, that is true. There are a lot of telemedicine companies out there that provide access from a patient to a doctor, right? A lot of times these are, you have a cough, you have a cold, you have the flu, you want to learn about COVID, if you have those symptoms or not. So you have to understand that those are primary care physicians. Most of the time, these are PCPs or urgent care doctors. So you don't have access to specialty care. Specialty care is much, much tougher. There are actually not that many companies that provide access to a specialist in the US. They're very much subspecialized. These guys go on their uh, additional multi-year fellowship in order to be a specialist. So telehealth in urgent care is something that has been existing and there are a lot of companies out there, and especially now it's growing significantly. And then there is access to specialty care, which reach our top experts, cardiologists, neurologists, oncologist, and then within those domains, subspecialties, right? So interventional cardiologists, electrophysiologists. So we are very much tailored to those experts. I think that's a big differentiator that I wanted to just mention. Perhaps finding specialists to partner with you on your platform may be a bit of a bottleneck, but that's just coming from my perspective. I'm curious, has it been hard to get people on your platform that are specialists that are so unique in what they do? The simple uh, question is yes. So so when we started this, it was very hard. So these girls are, we went international first. People want the chief or the director of breast cancer oncology at the NF Harbor or something like that. So so then we came, we're new, new in this game and we talked to these physicians They're like, who are you? Why do I need to do this for you? I mean, do you know who I am? So the reason why we were successful in this is because we went after these top-notch experts at this renowned, world-renowned institutions, not only on here on the East Coast, but also many on the West Coast and all over the U.S. And the way we did that is I was able to utilize my personal network of all of those years that I've been doing a lot of research in the field of cardiology with some world-renowned specialists, as well as Liz Kuo. Uh, Chris is, you know, went to Hopkins prior to MIT. So we had some great networks. So once you have that critical mass of, let's say, you know, 100 doctors, then they're like, oh, this doctor is with you guys. Hmm, you must, you guys must be good. I want to be part of this. So now you have to get to the first 100, 200 specialists. Once you have them on your team, and they must love your platform, otherwise you're going to lose them. You know, like a hot potato. If they don't like your platform, you're done. So once you had those critical mass on your platform, then it was then the floodgates opened. Today we have over 2,400 top specialists on our platform. It took us years to get there, but the first hundred were the toughest. Four years in the making, that's still tremendous growth. So kudos to you. And by liking your platform, I'm sure you mean the design aspect. And I would love to ask more about what makes your platform so enticing to these doctors that make them like it. But maybe is it also that users are interested in it? So would love to know more about why the doctors liked it and why they, they chose you guys. Like Babuk said, we're very lucky. Babuk and I are actually both, you know, are both engineers. And so when, when we first designed the platform, we added all these features that we thought would be super useful. And, and we had, you know, all these, you know, gadgets and gizmos, right? And one thing that we learned is that, you know, you always have to interview the stakeholders. So, so we presented our early MVP solutions to the doctors and they didn't like it at all. 
And so very quickly, we realized the key to attracting these physicians was simplicity. There's a lot of elegance in simplicity. And so the reason our physicians enjoy working with us is because everything that they need for to render one of these virtual interactions successfully is super intuitive, super easy to use, and it's just super, super simple and straightforward for them. I can also add that another sort of differentiator of us is that we actually abstract all of you know a patient's medical records and summarize them for the specialist. And so they always have access to you know the raw medical files and the images, but we also have a team of physicians that actually does the abstraction and the summarization so that they're only provided a two to three page summarized report that they can review first. It saves them a ton of time and it makes the process a lot more enjoyable for them. So, so the answer is simplicity. I love that answer. And I also like the two to three page summary it also goes along with simplicity. It reminds me of one pagers. Amazon does this thing for before you go into meetings, you write a one pager. It saves so much time. It's like an efficiency principle. That's amazing that you guys are doing the same. And I was actually curious about this one. So clearly the design is there. The platform is there. Physicians are on. Was there ever a fear that once you open the floodgates that you didn't have the demand as expected? Or were you already forming partnerships with potential people to be on the platform? So this is a great question. And it's a business school question, right? So a lot of papers about this, right? So the Uber model, right? What do you get first, the customer or the drivers, right? Airbnb, do you get the customers first or the people on the providing this? The answer is providers. So basically, we actually stick by the book and having great professors in strategy class outlining why. We actually went to the providers not being worried if the floodgates open, we have enough customers, right? So they will, they will come. Once you have a good service out there at the, with my recommendation, whoever is going the entrepreneurial route, if you have an amazing service, the customers will eventually come. So today we are serving through our channel partners over 1.5 million in the U.S. alone. So we, we are happy we went that route. We had to make sure that the providers are sufficiently there and are trained and are like in our platform, then I'm going after the customers. If I could jump in real quick. Wait, did you say 1.5 million? Yeah, those are the people that have access to 1.5, actually more, a little bit more have access. The business model has changed since we were international. We are still international covering a lot of lives out there. But in the US, the business model is different than international. See, I'm from Germany. For me, it's crazy that my insurance is related to my employer. Like, what? Why does my employer? So when I change jobs, then all of a sudden I'm at a different insurance. So all that is was new to me. But here, the customers are self-insured um, large organizations with potentially international presentations. So those employees, so you provide a contract with those large employers, and then they have access to your services as well. And that number is about over than 1.5 million folks. Doesn't mean that every each one of them needs a specialist second opinion, of course. Then the number of utilization comes down to what's important here. So we do a couple thousand of these cases, thousands of these cases a year, but access to our services are that that's the number. 
No, that's awesome. Yeah. I had a question actually about that. So your channel partners have been insurers. How has it been working with insurers? Have you found that they've been very open to telehealth or has it not been the case? I think to be completely honest, a lot of this is to be determined. Yeah, you know, as Bobak mentioned, we certainly have experience working with insurers. As an example, we often joke that we provide coverage for half of a nation. We cover, you know, half of the country of Bermuda, for example, through one of our insurance partners. You know, they're, they are a small country, but it's cool to be able to say that we provide services for almost half of the country. But, you know, what's interesting is, and I'm sure you have all heard through kind of everything that's been currently ongoing and the state that the world is currently in, there's been a lot of changes in the legislation with you know, with regards to access to care and, and telehealth. And so I think a, a lot of this is actually yet to still be determined. You know, the government has relaxed some of the restrictions around, you know, practice across state lines. The government has reduced some of the restrictions and relaxed some of the, the items around reimbursement. And so I think this is actually a much, much deeper question. And so, you know, yes, we have experience working with insurers, but I think so much is actually still to be determined. And so, you know, maybe we can circle back in a couple of months. No, for sure. Thank you. Thank you for that answer, Chris. I think uh, if I may add to that's a great answer, Chris. And if I may add to that is there is this interesting side effect of uh, a remote expert opinion. I myself went through that, right? Years ago, I was planned for a surgery due to a sport injury and I was planned for the surgery. And a friend of mine said, you know what, Bob, I just come with me. I work with some of the, the, this is back in Germany, some of the leading PT folks for for rehab of the, the national team, soccer team. And I did that. And this person told me, look, you can you can go have the surgery or you stick with me for three months, do my program in PT, you won't ever need surgery, which I did. And I never needed that surgery. Now, what does that mean? It's amazing for the patient. You know, I had an amazing outcome. I was so happy I didn't need the surgery and have screws in my back. At the same time, my insurance actually saved cost. So there is a significant interest in this because there's also a cost-saving component that is not to be neglected. That's a tremendous point. Saving costs for sure for the health insurer and then also being able to keep a patient from enduring more pain. There's actually a lot of post-surgery processes you have to go through that I've seen friends and family who've gone through pretty hard surgeries that it takes a lot of pain tolerance and kind of its own form of physical therapy. So yeah, that's a great point, Babak. And you know, you mentioned physical therapy then. I had a question about, have you found certain specialties being more popular than others? I was thinking of a couple like dermatology, like if I have something on my hand or if I suddenly wake up one morning and I see something that it's not typically normal, you don't go to a primary care provider for that. You want to go see specialists. Is that what you normally see as a use case or is it stuff like around surgery or other indications? Yeah, as a company, you know, we provide access to all of specialty medicine, right? And so we have to be prepared every day for essentially whatever rolls in the door. So, but that being said, you're absolutely right. There are definitely areas that we see a higher demand in. It's typically around more sort of complex conditions. And, and as you mentioned, some of these surgical conditions. So we see a lot of orthopedics. We see a lot of oncology. We see a lot of cardiology, neurology, pediatrics. 
and actually also rare disease. You know, rare disease is actually not rare for us because, you know, typically there's just a handful of specialists, you know, around the world that can provide their expertise. And so that actually becomes a lot more common for us just because these are areas that, you know, a patient could really use the support in. But, you know, to your point about, you know, dermatology, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of this actually falls under, you know, kind of oncology, right? And so you do see a fair amount of that. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I was curious about that. The rare diseases piece was really interesting, that rare diseases isn't rare for you guys. I love that sentence, Chris. I'm going to steal that. You know, you're right. I mean, <laughs> it's the first time I hear that. That's a great job. Yeah, rare diseases are not rare for us. We actually just recently engaged in the, one of the top pediatric clinical institutions here in, in, in the Boston area. And I have to ask always permission from the marketing to mention a name, but we have a great strategic partnership as one of the, the top three pediatric institutions. And there we have, unfortunately, a lot of sad cases where children have a rare disease. And sometimes you just feel like four experts in the entire U.S. who treat that specific disease, and we have them. So we're very honored to providing these parents, you know, not just potential alternative treatment option that is successful, but also something that is very, very important in our business, which is ease of mind, right? Ease of mind. Parents or people want to know, have they done really the best they can do for their loved ones or themselves? Is there anything else out there? Have they really looked into any other opportunities? And that's very, very powerful as well. And Chris can tell you a little bit more about the data in terms of how many of our consultations turn into a change of diagnosis or a treatment plan, which is a significant, much higher than you think. I would love for you to guess it. But the ones that are just confirming an existing diagnosis or a treatment plan, that's ease of mind and that's very powerful by itself. I would love to hear more about that, actually. You know, first of all, there's, you know, there's a lot of just, you know, sort of clinical literature out there that shows that something like 50% of, you know, lower lumbar spinal fusions are unnecessary. You know, a number of, you know, hysterectomies are unnecessary. Really, it's if, you know, if you go to a, a surgeon and you say that you have back pain, well, you know, they're surgeons. And so in their heads, they go, well, I can fix you because I'm a surgeon, so I can get rid of your pain if I operate on you. But that often doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right approach to a, a patient's care, you know? And so, you know, we've done a lot of quantification internally in terms of sort of looking at these outcomes. Over 20% of our cases have uh, led to a new or incorrect diagnosis. And, you know, very recently from our case database, we had uh, something like 82 percent of cases led to some form of change in their treatment plan or additional diagnostic testing, which is really, really substantial if you think about it. We also do quality of life reporting too, you know, for example, in orthopedics, we're actually able to show that we're able to add an additional, you know, one 0.1 quality added life year to each patient that goes through our consultation process. We're able to save employers' workdays from workplace absenteeism, for example. We estimate, you know, for you know our orthopedic cases that we can actually save, 
you know, almost 30 days of work days and reduce absenteeism by, you know, 15, 16 days for each patient that, that comes through us. And so definitely have a lot of very, very interesting data points from having been in this business for quite some time. That's incredible. The fact that you, you guys are even saving saving patients from enduring certain surgeries or maybe certain things that they weren't really open to. And in fact, even misdiagnoses. So that's great to hear. I was even thinking about people who can't have surgeries, like people who are very elderly or just very, very weak, like even if they had a back problem or a problem in other areas where they needed a surgery, it may not be the best for them. So in this case, Infinite MD would be very helpful. I have two more questions. I have one question actually is on COVID-19. Clearly, it's taken the world by storm. It especially has increased adoption rates in telehealth. I myself have even used Teladoc twice, and I've never used telehealth services ever. I'm curious, how has it affected your business? And feel free, anybody can, can kind of jump in. Before I try to answer that, is may I ask you, would you use it again in the future when there is no COVID anymore? Let's say we find a vaccine now that you've tasted it, uh, would you do it again? So the thing is, I would do it for something a little bit more minor. If it was something more serious, I wouldn't. And the reason is my experience is because I tried it twice on something that was the same problem. My first round wasn't the best experience. And actually, if you had asked me then, I would say I would never use it. But my second experience was pretty good. And I think it was just the luck of the draw, the conversation, the length that I got to speak to the doctor. It was, but this is a relative experience. So that's just my opinion. So would I do it again? Maybe. For something more serious, no. That's a very interesting, good answer. So I think that, you know, we bet on telehealth years ago and telehealth is here to stay, it says, and it has got a, given the unfortunate circumstances we live in, a big boost in, in terms of utilizing telehealth. And telehealth is a big word. A lot of times telehealth in the industry is internally used for urgent care, like the experience you had with Teladoc, I believe, and uh, or doctors and men. I don't know. Those are two big ones, by the way, that provide these urgent care services. We had uh, also a boost, but for us, it's different, right? So we don't do urgent care, at least not at this point. We, we can do it very easily and in order to provide more comprehensive services. But more importantly, you hear the news a lot about patients that are having COVID or having questions if they have COVID, they have flu-like symptoms and so forth, or if they should go to an ER for something important or not, right? But what you don't hear is there's so many elective surgeries, as an example, are being postponed right now, right? So people with these conditions are not going away. So people that have, let's say, chemotherapy, and now they are, now even therapy is postponed a couple of weeks. Now, what does that tell you? What is that patient going to get access from? Who Who is this patient going to get access from? Information of their underlying condition or cardiology cases. People are then stamped with elective or non-elective surgeries. There's a big gray zone. What does that mean? And how can they access specialists? So that's where we come in, right? So yes, urgent care, very important. I'm glad you had the second round, a good experience. I think it makes total sense for urgent care. 
But you're right, for specific disease categories, you cannot access a physician today. And if you look at the numbers, it's crazy. 50% reduction in patients going to ER for after a heart attack or a stroke. Right? They are still getting it. What does that tell you? That means there's a lot of people out there that just don't want to go close to a hospital environment and they rather do a remote consultation. What we can provide is say, look, you don't have to get your MRI scan in the hospital. We connect you to a local imaging institution. For certain diseases, the doctor doesn't necessarily need to touch you in order to diagnose you or get a follow-up consultation. So that's where we come in. So coming back to your question, and I apologize for the long way of answering it, is yes, we do see a significant increase in our virtual health access points to a specialist, in particular for specialty care and not urgent care only. Great. I'm glad that there's increased adoption and you guys are continuously having access points for patients who are or were going to get surgeries and weren't able to do so or needed specialty care and weren't able to access it. So, great. We're actually also seeing the access point on the provider side too. You know, so a lot of our our providers are leveraging our technological sort of capabilities to be able to consult with with patients, you know. And so, you know, on the provider side, you know, a lot of physicians that, you know, feel like they don't have to physically be able to to be, you know, within the walls of a hospital to provide their expertise are turning to us as well, you know, as, you know, a, a tool that they can add to, you know, how they provide care as well. Great. Great. That's so great to hear that providers are, are interested in participating because they can't access their practice. Awesome. And so my last question for you guys is, you know, where do you see Infinite Med or Infinite MD moving? Where do you see it going in the next five years? You know, what, what is the, your vision for the company? You put the tough one at the end, huh? So uh, <laughs> you saved the tough one at the end. That's a great question. So for us, it's all about impact, right? Uh, Chris and I and everybody on our team, we have a, you know, one of the biggest success stories that we have is we, for whatever reason, we were able to attract a lot of top talent. And I would say every single of our team member is they have a vision is is to help and have a big impact in this world. And our vision is to broaden access to our top specialist. And we see ourselves, if I may say, Chris, you know, and please feel free to jump in. We see ourselves of having a much broader reach now that people have been utilizing more telehealth services to see that it should it will never completely replace and it shouldn't to see a physician in person, of course. But our vision is to have more Americans access to our network as well as patients all around the world. Just continue that growth. And also I want to add that we have new services where you can text message, for example, and get a video snippet answer back of a physician. So we also see that there's a lot of AI opportunities in order to filter out some of the low-hanging fruits there. We have gathered a lot of data over the years, and there's a lot of opportunity to utilize machine learning to optimize or at least automate some of these uh, processes. Yeah, I think Bobak nailed it. I mean, one of our biggest assets is the fact that, you know, we have so many leading physicians and brilliant minds 
that you know, come into interaction with our platform every day. And so to just to continue to be able to share that with a larger and a larger patient population is the ultimate vision for Infinite MD. Love it. It's, I just want to say it's been an amazing time having you guys on the show. A lot of really insightful answers and really exciting answers just for the future of digital health. So I'm excited. I'm feeling pretty pretty pumped up even though it's 7 p.m on a friday after a long week i feel i feel re-energized so thank you guys i appreciate it thank you both it's very very kind thank of you, you so guys much. to host us where can our audience hear more of the amazing work you guys are doing absolutely so just go on our website infinitemd.com we also are going to start rehosting some of our basic interviews with some of our specialists there. That's where you can get access to us as well as on our LinkedIn page. Feel free to reach out. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. Your attention means the world to us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to share this episode with a friend And if you really enjoyed it, if you could go ahead and leave a rating and a review on whatever platform you get your podcast, Iman and I would be over the moon. Stay tuned for our next episode.